I really want to carry on with uh, what we started looking at last week. I'm going to get um, into this as quickly as we can. And there's a reason for it. Um, a lot has happened in the last seven days that has had an impact around the world. And I fear that um, we may well be losing sight of the reason why we as a church, we as a body of Christ exist. And because of that, I'm, I'm not going to focus on anything other than bringing the Word of God to you because now in this season with the pandemic and everything else that's going on, we need to double down into the Word of God, double down in our faith, double down in our relationship with the living Christ and really get deep into intimacy of relationship with Him. That said, let's get into it. If you have your Bibles, and this is important now, every week you need to come with your Bible and your notebook. I can remember when I first started live streaming. I used to say at the beginning of the live stream, uh, get your Bibles, your coffee and your notebook. Uh, it's Bishop Dewar and I'm live. So it's a little late for me to be drinking coffee in the UK. It is after 10 p.m. But uh, wherever you are watching, both live and on the replay, on Periscope, on YouTube, on Facebook, Grab your coffee, your Bible, your notebook, your notebook, notebook, oh, I can't even speak. Bishop Dew is live and uh, I want to talk to you about Jesus Christ or becoming Christ, the broken bread of life. Last week we looked at the living bread of life. This week we're looking at the broken bread of life. We're continuing in our study of the Eucharist. Now I come from the traditional um, Anglo-Catholic church into the Pentecostal charismatic evangelical church. And I use those three monikers together because I never quite know how to explain us. So I don't want to offend anybody. I'll use all three names for our, let's say brand of church. But um, I come from a very different background to most Pentecostals, most charismatics, most evangelicals. And because of that, I look at things um, very differently I look at things from a bit more orthodox perspective. So I want you to, to, to open your mind. I'm not saying I'm a Catholic or I'm an Anglican or, or I, people ask me what denomination, what, what are you? And I tell them I'm a Christian. And then they go, no, no, which church do you go to? I said, you didn't ask me that. You asked me what I am. And I am a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. But I, I have a passion for the orthodox beliefs that we once held dear in all the denominations of the church. And sadly, through time and through uh, other things, we seem to be losing sight of an awful lot lately. So my goal is to bring us back to a solid foundation of truth, a solid foundation of teaching, of doctrine in the church. And I really felt like we read, we, we re oh gosh, I can't even speak. I really felt like we need to reconnect with Christ in communion. That's communion for us as believers, communion for us together as a church, as in the communion of the saints, and then in the institution of what I call the Eucharist, Holy Communion, the body and the blood of our Lord. And that's why last week, you can go back and watch it. It's there on YouTube. It's there on um, 
Facebook where I talked about Christ as the living bread of life and I, I took a passage which we're going to look at again tonight from John 6 and we understood that there is a life in the blood of Christ and we must take the life into us for in John 6 Jesus said for if we do not eat of the blood and drink uh, eat of the bread and drink of the blood we have no life in us so last week we looked at the living bread of life the life that's in the bread of life the life that we must take into us this week we're going to look at something a little bit different but we're in the same passage of scripture and we're looking at being the broken bread of life. And this is, this is important, okay? This is important. So stick with me on this one. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to the Gospel of John again, chapter 6. And uh, I'm reading from a, a slightly different translation this week, but I like how it's written. And um, bear with me. Um, last week we, I read from the King James, but I want you to really understand the scriptures understand the word of god in a way in which you can you, you're not struggling because of the use of verbiage and language because it's written in 400 year old english so this week we're going from uh, we're going for a bit more of a modern translation but um, it's going to be good so uh, the gospel of john uh, chapter 6 verses 51 to 58 and it reads this and jesus said i am the living bread that came down from heaven Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That's what we picked up on last week. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life and i will raise them up on the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and i in them just as the living father sent me and i live because of the father whoever eats me will live because of me this is the bread that came down from heaven not like that which your ancestors ate and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. Amen. That's the passage of scripture. That's the word of God we're looking at this week, okay? So, if you haven't quite caught it yet by what I've read in the scripture, if you didn't quite catch it last week by what we taught on the living bread of life, Jesus wants us to understand that he is the bread that comes from heaven. I think we have got that by the fact he references it several times just in this passage of scripture alone. So we can look at the scriptures and understand that just before, John, uh, just before Jesus shares this about being the bread of life with us and the disciples, in the Gospel of John, he has just come out of the miraculous feeding of the 5,000 men. Now, very specific to say 5,000 men, because I believe that the, the, um, uh, I believe that the number of people gathered in the crowd was larger because Jewish history 
only counts men in counting a crowd. And the, the, the text in the original language is very specific to number 5,000 men, not 5,000 people. So I believe that. So I understand that Jesus has just performed this incredible miracle. And out of that, which was a miracle involving both fish and bread, Jesus begins to teach the disciples and the Jews gathered around him, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that came down from heaven. And he says that. He reiterates several times in this passage, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that came from heaven. He really wants to hammer this particular message home to the people gathered. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of heaven. I, being a Welshman now, I want to sing bread of heaven. But I won't because it's late and my voice probably sounds terrible. Um, so he's kind of telling us in this passage of scripture, you know, you, you might know my parents and um, you might know my ancestors, but you must still believe that I am the bread that came down from heaven. And, and the, the, just the, 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 the number of times that he references it in such a short passage of scripture I think he's trying to get home. This is an important fact that we need to comprehend. This is something that we truly need to get our minds around. Okay? So he reiterates that I'm the living bread that comes down from heaven. We must eat of his flesh. He reiterates that I am the bread of life. So we've got all that. And because Jesus keeps saying that, many of the crowd abandon him. Many of the crowd abandoned him. Now, I have to be honest, I'm wondering whether the crowd abandoned him because of the talk of eating the body and drinking the blood, uh, or whether it is because Jesus seems to have one sermon that he just seems to keep preaching over a short period of time. For somebody like me now, Going back to what we're looking at. For somebody like me that comes from, let's say, a more Catholic background, more Catholic stream. Now, let me clarify something. When I say Catholic, I don't mean Roman Catholic. Catholic simply means universal. Someone that comes from a more traditional church, a more institutional church, uh, like the Roman Catholic, except I was an Anglo-Catholic, Anglican, uh, before I became a Pentecostal. And I've studied a lot of, of Anglican texts and Anglican understanding, and, and, and I'm a conservative theologian. I'm a, a classical theologian. I'm not, a, a not what they consider to be a modern theologian in the, the, the particular strains of theology that I've studied um, in preparation and, and in growing in my ministry. Um, so for someone like me that comes from that background this particular teaching of jesus with the the understanding and the history that we have as a church um it doesn't to me seem to be terribly difficult so all of us should know that john's gospel has no um last supper narrative doesn't mention it at all i would uh, i would argue like many scholars would that 
several texts in the Gospel of John, particularly this one in John 6, they, they function as John's institution narrative. The place in the Gospel where John explains where Holy Communion comes from, or for me as a traditionalist, where the Eucharist originates. But actually, I, I truly believe to move immediately to the Eucharist alone, based on what John is saying here, for us as believers, particularly when we hear this passage of the text uh, of the Gospel, is quite a mistake to make. The reason I say that is because, it, to me, it makes the Gospel way too easy to hear. Let me say that again. To, to take this passage in John 6 and to move immediately from there into the Last Supper, uh, into, the, sorry, into Holy Communion, into the Eucharist, for me as a, as a believer, for me in my understanding, is a big mistake. And the reason I say it's a mistake is because that makes the, the, uh, that makes the gospel way too easy for us to hear. So what I think we should do is, or, or what I think we actually do, I should say, is we, um, we translate Jesus talking about his body and his blood immediately into the Eucharist, immediately into Holy Communion. And we do that so we can both ritualize, as in create rituals, and then distance ourselves from the actual implications of what he is saying to us in this particular gospel. Now, what we should do is hold our place with the disciples. We need to hold ourselves with the disciples so that just like them, we are those who are trying to understand what Jesus is actually teaching us in this particular passage of the gospel. Just like those, many of us will struggle to comprehend, will struggle to understand. And we must ask, why are they struggling? Why was what Jesus saying so difficult to them? What makes people then, even people today, grumble, fight, argue, dispute the institution of the Eucharist, the Holy Communion? On one level, I understand that a lot of the problems come from the fact that the language that Jesus uh, uses seems to be quite cannibalistic. You must eat of my body and drink of my, my blood. You know, um, that nature of language is to some offensive, is to some confusing, is to some um, misleading and difficult to comprehend. If we knew nothing of the Eucharist, if we knew the, uh, nothing of communion, if we knew nothing of the sacrament of the church, the sacrament of the body and the blood. If a religious teacher came along saying that for us to live, we must eat his body and drink his blood, we would look at this particular man or this particular woman as an absolutely sociopathic cult leader. There is no way on God's green earth we would naturally follow somebody who makes that profession. 
Yet, we, from the Christian perspective, don't take into consideration what the Jewishness and the Jewish perspective of what Christ is teaching. I say that because Jesus knows one of the fundamental laws written in the Torah, one of the fundamental laws that the Jews follow is that they will eat no blood. It's what separates them from the rest of the world as a people. Even in the, the early church, even in, in the early parts of the Roman Empire post-Christ, po uh, you know, after his death, early Christians were ridiculed and mocked by Romans because they would tell stories about their secret rituals, their hidden rituals, where they ate people, they cannibalized people, simply because of this teaching on the body and the blood of Christ. Why does Jesus bring us to this imagery of the body and the blood when knowing it would be far too difficult for a first century Jew to understand and accept the necessity of the partaking of the body and the blood? Why Jesus calls us to this strange imagery is recorded in that tiny little passage where he says this, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. It is something that using the analogy of a vine and a branch, Jesus will reiterate again in John 15. He'll talk about if, I, if you abide in me and my word abide in you, here he's talking about, if my body and my blood abide in you, if you abide in me, then I am in you. So, the danger of simply identifying this particular passage of the gospel as reference to Holy Communion, as reference to the Eucharist alone, is that we tend to then use this kind of ritualistic interpretation of uh, of this passage of scripture so that we can simply uh, in the traditional church we would what they say adore the blessed sacrament we, we give reverence to the act of holy communion the the elements the body the blood the, the the bread and the wine the body and the blood that make up holy communion for us to to uh, participate on uh, participate in but we have to understand that the communion is not something we simply experience at the altar. It's not something we experience in the pews, wherever it is that you take it. It's not something that, that um, the point that the church brings us to in communion, in understanding the, the body and the blood, the sacraments, is that it is a symbol of God's never-ending love held out to us as human beings. And it is more than something that warms our hearts. It is more than something that nourishes our soul, nourishes our spirit. It's more than something that we just participate in and partake of in our daily walk.
to me, in this particular text that we're looking at, Jesus is not interested in the warming of our hearts. Jesus is not interested in giving us a ritual that makes us feel better. Jesus is not wanting us to feel like we've come close to the divine so that we can then just go on and go ahead with our daily life. What Jesus wants to do in the Eucharist, in the communion, in the body and the blood, is Jesus wants to transform us from the inside out. Let me say that again. What Jesus wants to do in the communion, in the Eucharist, in the receiving of the body and the blood, is to make a transformation from the inside out. So what he's actually trying to do, what the disciples weren't getting, what the Jews weren't getting, the crowd gathered, is that Jesus is wanting us to be partakers of the body and the blood because in doing so, he begins to transform us into himself. Let me say that again. Why Jesus wants us to be partakers of the Eucharist, to be recipients of the body and the blood, is because in doing so, he begins to transform us into himself. If we simply come to the communion table, if we come to the altar, if we come to the Eucharist with a reverence for what is there, but we do it over and over and over and it becomes of no effect or of no, uh, no um, avail within our life, then the point of the sacrifice at Calvary becomes irrelevant to us as believers. Because of that ritualism that we develop, because of that, that making it symbolic rather than making it Christ in it with us, then we are completely missing the point of why Christ institutes this Holy Eucharist, this Holy Communion this breaking of the body and the blood. We're missing why Isaiah prophesies 400 years, 600 years before Christ is born of what will happen. Through the communion, through the Eucharist, you and I are meant to be changed. We should not just come to it with, it's just bread and wine. The purpose of the communion, the purpose of the Eucharist, like we looked at last week, is that the living bread of life changes you, changes you from the inside out. And there's an evolution of the human heart that happens in the sacrament, in the Eucharist, in communion. Because in being a participant, in being a partaker, we are supposed to become more tender. We are supposed to become more loving. We are supposed to become more giving because we are taking Christ 
into ourselves that he might transform us into himself within us and without us. Now, you might get confused by that expression, within and without. It's an old English expression that means inside and outside. When I talk about being within us and then without us, I'm talking about the change that happens internally before it happens externally. I'm talking about the Christ on the inside of you that affects the Christ on the outside of you because that's the Christ that people see. That's the Christ that people that people touch, that they feel, that they experience. You become a living representation of Christ in the earth to other people. Ooh, I'm going to... Oof. If you're not finding yourself to become, or, or, or if you're not finding yourself becoming more tender, becoming more loving, becoming more giving when you are a recipient of Holy Communion, then something is wrong. You cannot take the body and the blood of Christ into you and not be changed. If you remain the same way you did before being a participant and a partaker, then it is simply bread and wine. There is no Christ in it. The Holy Spirit is not with us in that element, in that moment, in that, that place of communion. Let, let me read you something, okay? The 4th century bishop and teacher, John Chrysotum, he comments on this particular text. And I wrote this down because I thought you'd like this. He insists that the reason Jesus is so adamant on the literal nature of his flesh and blood is so that we will do more than just to look upon or to observe Christ as an onlooker, as an outsider. Instead, Jesus wants those who come to him, in the words of Chrysotom, to fix their teeth in his flesh and to be co-mingled with him to fulfill all their love. To be co-mingled. Jesus will later give us the great co-mission. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Because he is in it with us. So there is a great co-mingling of the body of you, the body of me, with the body of Christ, of your blood, my blood, with the blood of Christ. Jesus is calling us to consume his flesh and his blood because people is not looking for those who only listen to him for ways of making themselves feel better. If you think that just going to church and taking communion is a way for, to, to, to help you feel better, you're missing what is in that communion. You're missing what is in Christ. Jesus is not interested in people who, who merely just follow him willy-nilly, haphazardly, just follow the crowd that follow him. Jesus wants more than people who just worship him. Jesus is looking for people like you and me, you and I, I should say, sorry, <laughs> that believe in him, that believe in the life in the blood, that believe in the healing in the broken body, and in doing that will take Christ inside themselves 
so that they may once be they may once more become with Christ not just in the communion but in our daily life in doing that in in taking the body in taking the blood in being transformed into himself that we in our own humanity in our in our flesh are yielded to what is in Christ and in doing so we are broken to him and God gives us to the world in doing in, in participating and and partaking of the communion of the Eucharist in being transformed to Christ himself we are broken to God and given by him to the world around us Will Willman says this There is no knowing Christ without a visceral total engagement with all that you are You cannot know Christ in part every single part of you must be totally engaged in knowing Christ So ask yourself this Is that what you bring to the communion altar? Is that what you bring to Holy Communion, to the Eucharist? Do you bring all of yourself to God and to God's work? Do you bring all of you to the work of God in the world in which we live? Or are you holding something back? Are you saying I'm giving everything but knowingly withholding something? Are you trying to deceive God or deceive yourself by holding something back and not abandoning yourself to everything Christ is in the Eucharist, in the communion, in the body and the blood? Are you not being totally transformed? Are you not as Will Willman said, viscerally and totally engaged with all that you are? in knowing Christ. Jesus promises us in this particular passage of the gospel that if we will eat his flesh and drink his blood, we will have eternal life. That we would never again be hungry. We would never be thirsty again. Jesus makes us this promise because if you and I are willing to open ourselves if we are willing to consume the flesh and drink the blood if we open ourselves entirely to God then we in turn will become the embodiment of all of God's love think on it we will become like God's love we will become unlimited in our ability and our willingness 
to be broken for other people, just like Christ. I would put it to you like this. Jesus is inviting us to take him into the very deepest parts of our own self. And we are too afraid. Jesus is inviting us to take him into the very deepest parts of ourselves, and we are too afraid. We're too afraid to let him in. We're too afraid to let him go too deep. We're too afraid of what he might see, of what he might change, that we cling to, that we use to define who we are, not letting him transform us into himself, that the Christ in you defines who you are, defines how you act, how you think, how you live. You know, at the beginning of the Gospel of John, when Jesus meets John the Baptist, John the Baptist calls out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When I grew up in the Anglican church, when I grew up in the traditional church, even today when I perform the Eucharist myself, when I lead Holy Communion for the believers, at the moment of the Eucharistic prayer, I still utter the words of the Anuste, the, the Lamb of God. Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world have mercy on us. Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, grant us peace. Twice we ask for mercy, once we ask for peace. When I cry out in, in, in my prayers, surrounding communion, I don't do it so that God will notice me. I'm not doing it because I'm thinking about what's broken in this world, what's broken in this life, and trying to, to uh, stir God to fix what's broken. When I come to that altar, when I come to that bread, to that wine, when I pray and believe that it becomes the body and the blood of my Lord and my Savior, when that happens for me, I'm doing it so that the Lamb of God that laid down his life for me would not only nourish my soul, nourish my spirit, but that in doing so that I would become like him and be broken myself for this world. I'm not afraid to show my failings. I'm not afraid to show my imperfections because in the Eucharist, I find that in the communion, I find that my imperfection is acceptable because it is in that moment that I am laying that down so that I can take Christ, as I said earlier, into myself, that I might be transformed into him, into his being. Christianity is more than just coming to God and laying ourselves on some holy altar. It is about God transforming the broken and imperfect beings, the broken and imperfect things of this life.
It is so God can invite us to come and taste and see the bountiful blessings of His unfailing, unending, unconditional love. When you come to Christ in the communion, in the Eucharist, God's love goes beyond your failures. Christianity, Christ, the Eucharist, the communion is about all of this happening so that you and I are transformed into the living embodiment of God's desire for this world. So that when people see us, when people experience us, they experience a people that are broken by love. They experience a people who are willing to be broken so that other people might know how deeply and how truly they are loved by God. Christianity has become something it never should have. But the Eucharist, communion, is about you and I being transformed by that sacrament, by that body, by that blood, so that when people see us, when people see the church, when people see you, when people see me, What they are seeing is another Lamb of God that is willing to be broken for them. Somebody that is willing to be broken for the sake of bringing God's peace to their life. So when the unbeliever, the lost, the hurting, the broken, look at you is that what they see or like so many of us have become and i have been through it myself do they see someone that does not exemplify the living christ of christianity but embodies the empirical nature of what I call churchianity. There is a purpose for the communion and we must stop neglecting it the way in which we have because it is in that moment that Christ himself begins the work of transformation. We know the scripture for it is no longer I that liveth but Christ that liveth in me, and never more so is that real than it is in the Eucharist, than it is in the communion. We need to come back to God's altar. We need to come back to the Lord's table that we, you and I, might be broken just like that bread 
so that God can give us to this broken world. That we will help him bring peace amid the chaos and the crisis of life. Amen. Well, I pray that uh, I pray that has helped you. I pray that has shown you a little deeper as we did last week that we we begin to understand the Eucharist from a completely different perspective and that we will come back to God's holy table that we will come back to the communion come back to the Eucharist not just to say I eat the bread and drink the wine but that we would fully understand there is life in the blood and there is a transformation that takes place as we take Christ into ourselves. Would you just bow your head and pray with me for a moment? Almighty God, you have given your Son, our Savior, Jesus, the risen Christ, that he would once and once only be the sacrifice for our sins. And in doing so, that he would also be an example of what it means to live a godly life. Lord, give us grace to receive with thanks the fruits of his work of redemption. And that we might follow daily in his blessed steps as we seek to live a holy and godly life. I ask these things for me, for everybody watching, everybody listening. Through Jesus Christ, your Son and our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.